You know, it's amazing to me, and I've heard Pastor talk about this, but when the Sunday school lesson, when the music, when everything ties in with the message he's laid on my heart, it, it's, it's amazing because everything we have been talking about this morning has moved up to this point. And you know, and Judy even said it, our God moves mountains. We're going to be talking about that today. And not just the fact that God moves mountains, but that he called us to be mountain movers. I look in my own life in the mirror in the morning, I look out here, and I see mountains with everybody. We've all got them, one place or another. We've either had them, we're experiencing them, we just came over them, and we've got another one coming at some point in the future. Because, you know, life's about challenges. God says in this world we're going to have trouble, but take heart. Why? Because he's overcome it. Right? So we're going to take a look at this today. Now, one thing about mountains, I've spent a lot of time hiking and camping, love being out in nature. And with mountains, one of the things that can be deceptive, it's all about distance and perspective, right? And if you've never had the, the privilege of being out west, uh, if you ever get a chance to go, I highly encourage it. Because there are places out there where you'll be driving and you may be 200 miles away. And the mountains already look pretty good in the, in the horizon. And as you start to draw closer, you get to a point where if you come up to the base of them, you can literally stare straight up and not see the top. And that's what it's like spiritually a lot of times for us. We, we go along, we're fine, we may see storms on the horizon, and then at one point we find ourselves looking up and we're going, God, how do I get out of this mess? I don't even understand what's going on. And all you can see is that mountain that's in front of you. You know, it's kind of like this. I think of it this way. If I was to light this candle down front, and let's say I had a mountain back here. Maybe this guitar case is my mountain, right? We could stand it up and make it a big mountain. Do you think that flame is going to do anything to this that far away? Not a thing, right? It looks small, right? It's tiny. But if we were standing right here, and this is our ginormous mountain, right? It's right in front of our face. And so all we see is that mountain. We don't see any way out. We don't see anything else. We feel like we're in those times when it's dark. Gil, you talked about that this morning. You get in those places where it's just, you feel like there's just darkness all around you. And when you're in those places, even the tiniest little light catches your attention, right? And what does that make you want to do? It makes you want to go towards the light. And let's say that Maybe I'm really tiny and that candle's really big, right? So we would get a, a perspective on the flame. As I get closer, is that going to look bigger or smaller? It's going to look bigger, right? And if I got up to a point where this was literally right here in front of my face, what am I going to see? I'm just going to see the light. And let's say that mountain was made out of wax, right? And I brought it with me. As I get closer, what's going to happen to it? It melts. And the closer I get to it, the faster it melts, right? Let's take a look at this a minute, because this is a scripture God started off with two of them that he started me with, and it turned into several pages. James chapter 4, verse 8 says, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. And then for our example, we see what happens. Psalm 97, 5. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. 
Now, I read that and I take encouragement because that tells me whatever problem I've got, it's not too big that God can't fix. And if I draw close to God, that mountain's going to disappear. It's a matter of perspective. It's a matter of spiritual perspective. The closer you draw to God, the less you're going to pay attention to the things in the world that are causing you problems. And it's not a matter of ignoring them. It's because they go away. <laughs> because God takes care of that. And you know, I've said this several times. If God thinks it's important enough to repeat something in Scripture, we need to pay attention to it. Because he's emphasizing a point. Look in Micah 1, chapter 1, verse 4. The mountains melt beneath him. The valleys split apart like wax before the fire, like water rushing down a slope. Now, we had a good rain here yesterday. And if you looked outside and you saw any kind of slope, that water was moving pretty fast, right? So what God's talking about here is not some kind of gradual, eventual, you work through it, maybe 20, 30 years you might start to see some improvements some progress. Water rushing down a slope. He's very deliberate with his choice of words here, okay? The words in this book are not there by accident. It's divine inspiration. It's so that we understand the idea of a mountain melting quickly, right? Valleys splitting apart. Where do we see valleys referenced? Psalm 91 is the first one that comes to mind, or the valley of the shadow of death, right? Fear no evil. So you think about that for a minute, and you think about the valley splits apart, right? God takes these things away. Now you think, okay, so that's it, right? You draw close, problems are solved. Well, no, I mean, I guess I could stop there and say, that's it, dismissed, good job, guys, go draw close. But that's not all of it. That's the first step. God expects us to do something about the situation using the power that he's given us. And if you're a born-again, blood-bought believer, you have power. And we're going to take a look at that. So how do we do that? Is it through prayer? Yeah, prayer's important. Is it through singing? Absolutely. We lift up worship. God says he inhabits the praises of his people. So yes, singing is part of it. Getting taught, listening to the Word of God, that's part of it. But you as an individual have a part to play that goes outside of a pastor, a teacher, a worship leader, and it makes that walk with you in Christ very important and very intimate and very together because you have a part to play. And it's the words that you speak. And we're going to take a look at this. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, he starts us off. This is, this is the whole way this concept gets started in salvation. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, there's one important word in that entire string there in that passage, and it's the word and. Because the word and, if any of you remember your English from, you know, grammar from elementary school or whatever, that word is something that ties two concepts together. It means you can't do one without the other. They're not exclusive. They have to go together. You confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart. You can't get saved praying a salvation prayer just in your head. Not going to happen. You can't say the prayer when you come down front and not really believe it and expect to have a life change. It's not going to happen. The two have to go hand in hand. We confess with our mouth, we believe in our heart. Now that part, believe... Let's look at faith and make sure we're on the same page. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Faith is confidence in what we hope for, and it's assurance of what we do not see. Remember the old hymn, Blessed Assurance, right? 
I just stopped and started singing through that song as I was writing these notes up because I love that song. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. It's talking about that blessed hope we have, right? But that word assurance, that means we know that we know that we know. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, we know. So what does this have to do with our mountains? Well, there's two different things. You have an opportunity to either be passive or active as Christians. And I think oftentimes we fall into that category of passive, whether it's consciously or subconsciously. But the idea of just kind of sitting back and things sort of happening and not really feeling like we have much to do with it. Let's take a look at Mark chapter eleven twenty-three. 23. It says, Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Now, we could spend an entire sermon just on that passage of Scripture. And I've listened to preachers do it, and it's a blessing. And we don't have time today because there's a lot God's laid on me here to go through. But I want us to notice one important passage about that Scripture. Who is supposed to be doing the speaking? Is it God or is it us? It's us, right? He says, truly I tell you, right, you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in where in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Oftentimes our mountains don't get moved because we're waiting on God to do it. We pray, and I have been guilty of this so many times. I've run into situations and I've said, God, don't you see what I'm going through? You've got to get me out of this mess. And when I finally got to that point where I was on my knees, I'm in tears, I felt completely broken in my spirit. You know, that's when God can work with us because we get ourselves out of the picture. And it took a while. But I got to that point and he said, I've already given you my power, I've given you my authority, I've given you my word. It's time for you to do something with it. I said, okay. Because you can't have faith in something you're not sure of. If you pray a prayer and you say, okay, I'm going to pray something to God and I'm going to trust He's going to work whatever out, but there's no specific stuff to it, you're not really having faith in anything. You're having hope that the situation is going to change. But faith is always based on what? We just saw it in Hebrews 1, 11, 1. It's an assurance. It's a certainty of something you don't see. And it's got to be based on God's Word. Now, if it's not something in the Bible, you can't plug your faith into it. But you've got to get in this book and you've got to find out whenever you're dealing with a problem, what does God say about that problem? And that way you can talk to your mountain and you can say to it and you can have faith Because God's word says this. How did Jesus run the devil off in the wilderness? He spoke to him every time, but he quoted the word. He didn't say, because I'm the son of God, you have to go do this. He never said that. And it's an important distinction because a lot of times as Christians, we may think, well, when Jesus was here, yeah, he's Jesus, of course. That's why he did the miracles he did. But what did Jesus say about himself? He humbled himself. That means he put aside that part of him that had that that divine power part. He put that aside. Everything he did in his ministry here, he did as a human, as a man, a physical man, anointed by God. 
Because otherwise it wouldn't be fair for him to say, okay, the same things you've seen me do, you go out and do it. That wouldn't be fair. But if he tells us, you go out and do it, and I love this part, he says even greater things. If you've ever read that passage, and you stop and think, what did Jesus do? He healed the sick. He changed lives. He raised the dead. And he wants me to follow that act up? I mean, come on, you know, really. But God says, I'm going to give you the ability to do that. But that involves us being active. We can't be passive and just wait for him to do these things. Now, we talk about who's supposed to speak. So that's going to be us. But now look at this word doubt, because it says, go throw yourself into the sea and who does not doubt in their heart. Now I looked that word up, doubt, because in English we know what that means. It's like, well, you're not really sure about something. But if you go back and look at the original Greek, and look at what that word means, it actually literally means someone to withdraw or to oppose. So you're not just saying, if you say to this mountain, but you have doubt, saying, well, I'm not really sure if God's going to do it. In your spirit, what you're doing when you do not have faith is you're saying, I am opposed to what God wants to do in this situation. I am withdrawing from my God, and I'm going off over here to do my own thing. Now, when you think about it like that, that makes it a little bit more serious because now it's like, wow, this is this faith walk thing. I really need to be on target with this because it sounds like God's pretty serious about it. What does God say about his word? In Proverbs chapter 4, verses 21 through 23, saying, Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. Why? For they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Now, that means everything, good or bad. Because the heart supplies, what? The words of our mouth. And what have we already been seeing? If you confess with your mouth, believe with your heart. These two things go together. Luke chapter 6, verse 45 says, A good man brings good things out of the good that's stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So as Christians, we have to stop and evaluate within ourselves, what words am I speaking? Are they good or are they evil? And then stop and go back and ask yourself, is lack good or evil? Doubt, confusion, worry, gossip, disease? Are these things good or are they evil? What am I talking about? What am I spending my time saying? Because there's not a middle ground. You've heard me say this before, but sometimes we have this concept in our head that there's God on one side, there's the devil on the other, and I'm just kind of somewhere in the middle bouncing back and forth between the two, trying to stay on one side. But that's not the way God sees it. It's very black and white with him. If you read his word, you're either following God or you're not. And whether we do that consciously, whether we do that out of choice, sometimes we may not understand, we may be growing. But when we know, and when we start to realize, we have to start making changes to line ourselves up with what God's Word says. We can't just stay the way we are, right? God expects us to grow. He expects us to move. And some may confidently say, well, you know, what we say really doesn't matter. You're being way too picky. You're being one of those kind of people or whatever confidently they say that. But let's take a look at something. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, 
or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, I picked the King James particularly for that passage because if you look at the NIV, they translate that word mammon as money. And while that is an accurate translation to a point, it's not a complete translation. If you go back and actually look at that word mammon and break it down in the Greek, what it means is it means confidence is the root of it. And in this case, it's talking about confidence in deifying money. You ever heard those people who say, well, if I won the lottery, all my problems would be solved because I could buy everything I wanted, right? What they're basically saying is I'm deifying money to the point that if I had a lot of it, I wouldn't have to worry about anything. Everything would be taken care of. Well, if you have God, that's what God says has already taken place with him. <laughs> so you don't need a, you know, the lottery to have your needs met. But that word mammon, confidence, is at the root of it. So you could look at this and say, you can't serve God and confidence. And when you look at it that way, now it starts to look a little bit more like Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do what? Lean not on your own understanding. Boy, isn't that hard sometimes? We stop and we think, you know what, God, I got this. I don't, I'm, I'm good. I know what I'm doing here. But that's not necessarily the case. And he goes on in verse 6 to say, In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Boy, that's hard. Because now I've got to take myself completely out of the way and completely put God in charge of everything. That means there can't be any part of my life that I'm hanging on to outside of God that says, You, you do this part, God, I'm going to do these parts over here. He's got to be totally in charge. You know, I used to see those bumper stickers that say, God is my co-pilot. I always prayed for those people. If you're one of those people, I hope I'm not offending you, I apologize. But, you know, you can't be in the driver's seat and let God sit over here and tell you what to do. It's got to be the other way around. God's either in the driver's seat or you got problems. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, but God has to be in charge. We don't allow ourselves to be swayed by anything in the world that goes contrary to God's word. That's part of what that means, right? We put our faith and our trust in God. When we decide who's in charge, that means that whatever this says, regardless of how crazy it sounds, regardless of how you may feel, regardless of how things may look, if God's Word says it, you have to get to a place where in your heart that settles it. Because that's where faith starts to work, and that's when that mountain will start to get moved that you're dealing with in your life. You have to get to that point where you're so close to that light that you don't have any room for doubt, that it goes away. If you don't understand something, we have to ask. You know, in James chapter 1, God says, if you don't have wisdom, you need it, ask for it. He'll give us more than we need without finding fault. I love that because that's important because God is never going to come to you and say, dummy, you should have known this. You know, now there, there's been times I felt that way. I've come to him and I'm kind of like, yeah, God, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm dumb. I don't know this. But he's like, no, it's okay. You don't know. That's fine. Here, here's how you, here's how you do this. He wants us to grow. It's important to God that we grow because that way we can do the work He needs us to do. Each one of us was called with a purpose. Each one of us has something special that God has designed for us alone to accomplish down here. But if we refuse to grow, if we refuse to change to be like the mold God has for us in His Word, we miss out on so much. I've got a note in here that says that when we start talking about this idea of who's in charge, right? 
The minute we start thinking is the minute we get in trouble. Now, that's very true with me. And, you know, I'm from the South, so you ever heard those, we used to call them famous Southern last lines where they'd say, hey, y'all watch this. And usually something really bad and something dumb happens, right? That's the guy that jumps off the roof with the homemade hang glider, you know, something bad. So the minute we start thinking is when we get in trouble. There's a reason that in the Bible, God is constantly comparing us to sheep. Maybe we're, we're cute, we're cuddly, I don't know, and we're dumb as a box of rocks. I'm not sure, but, you know, sometimes that's how it feels. <laughs> because you think, God, I just I keep messing this stuff up. But, you know, God is, is merciful. Let's look at the rest of James chapter 4, verse 8. It says, Come near to God, He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, this gets into that whole concept of who's in the driver's seat, who's in control. Because as we start to grow and as we start to learn, there's a tendency to go back and forth. And that's that part where I think of it like with the little kids, you know, like with, with any of my kids, uh, except Alora, she's, she's not there yet. But when they start to walk, you know, they start learning to crawl, then they start pulling up, then they take a couple of steps, they fall down. They take a couple more steps, they fall down. When we start to grow in faith in any concept, whether it's healing, deliverance, you know, prosperity, whatever it is that God has said for, in His Word, you've got these things, here you go. The devil attacks you with it, and you find out that's an area in your faith you need to develop. That's spiritually the process that we go through. Stand up, fall down. Stand up, fall down. But if you keep with it, eventually you get to a point to where you walk, then you start to run. And that's when you can start bringing other people along with you and helping them up as they stumble. Right? That's how we grow. As a church, that's what we do. And that passage, double-minded in James 4, literally means two-spirited or to vacillate, to go back and forth between. Scripture tells us that people who are double-minded are unstable in all their ways. You ever had those times where you feel like you're praying about something and the minute you pray, you instantly start to doubt, you know that's wrong, you repent, you start to pray again and you just bounce back and forth half the night? I've done that. You know, and that was an area where God said, okay, I need you to, to start working on walking here so we can get you to running. And the only way to fix it is to get back in this. Find out what God has to say about that situation. Because we have to walk by faith alone. Now, this is another one where it's important to notice that God says this several times. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says, We live by faith, not by sight. Now, that word live, that's important. And again, God doesn't pick words haphazardly in the Bible. There's a reason for them. Well, if you think about that word, we live by faith. What's the opposite of life? It's death. So, disease is never a part of God's plan, right? God is never going to curse you with a sickness. Why? Because it leads to death. And what does God say? He says, not my will that any should perish. That makes it pretty plain. If you're struggling financially, what do we say about when we have to get out and earn a job? We're doing what? We're earning a living. Okay, we live by faith. Who's our provider? God said he was. It's not our job. He's proved that in my life several times. I can tell you times I've been out of work, I've had no money, and I've had bills paid off more than I have when I had a job that paid twice as much. You know, right now, over the last four years, God has been delivering us out of some financial stuff that happened. A lot of it through no fault of our own, but we'd gotten in some financial binds. And over the last four years, God has paid off thousands upon thousands of dollars of debt. And the job he has me in right now, I'm making half of what I made before. 
And the way that he said to do it, I prayed and I asked him one time, I said, God, I, you know, I don't see how this is going to work. What do you need me to do? He said, I need you to be given more. Well, you remember that part I told you about how you go back and forth for a while until you start to, yeah, that was one for me. Because I'm going, God, I, I can't give more. I don't have enough as it is. He said, give more. And I said, no, no, see, God, when I asked you what, what can I do, this is where you say, I'm going to send you over here and you're going to get a job paying 100000 a year. Or you're going to do this. And he says, okay, who's in charge, you or me? Yeah, but, but God, see, this plan makes more sense. Who's in charge? Okay, you're in charge. I can't do it my way. I'll, I'll give. Okay. And I did, and I started out, it was so small. It was, it was pitiful, really. It was like $5. And I said, okay, I'm going to commit. And this is like through gritted teeth. Not because I didn't want to do it, but, you know, you just so, you got a family, you're thinking all these things. I was like, I'll give this $5 to this thing over here, and I will do this every week. I'll be faithful, and I will do this. And you know, it wasn't long after that that there was a bill for like, I don't know, close to $1,000 that God just supplied the money and got paid off. That got my attention. And I sat there and I went, hmm, okay. You know, and, and you feel stupid when you say it, but you, you go, maybe there's something to this. <laughs> don't you feel dumb when you, again, sheep, right? We're sheep, okay? But God is always faithful. You know, if you'll just be crazy enough to trust him and do what the book says, you know, Wives, you can attest to this, right? You're talking to us husbands if you'd say, you know, if you just read the instructions, right? This could be fixed so much easier. Oh, no, no, I got it. I know what I'm doing. They always over-engineer these things. Sheep, right? God does the same thing with us. And he says, just do this. Be crazy enough to trust this. Live by faith, not by sight. That means you can't be swayed by what you see around you. If God says he's your source and he has met your needs, you cannot sit there and say, I'm broke. Because when you do that, you are given power to the mountain that's in front of you and you're walking away from that light that God says, this is what I say is true. There's an enemy out there who wants us blindfolded. He wants us in chains. He wants us in bondage. If God's word says you are healed, you cannot constantly walking around talking about how sick you are. You can't be both. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to say God's word says I'm healed and you're going to five minutes later be miraculously healed. You may be. Maybe God does it through medicine. Maybe it's a progress. But it has to start here and here. If you let God's word work in your life. My wife has been delivered from two incurable diseases. And God's no respecter of persons. It's not because you know, she's who she is. It's because she's a believer. And she chose to put God's word to the test and believe what it said. And it was a process. It took years. But every time the doctor came back with something bad and something negative, she said, no, God's word says. How did Jesus do it in the wilderness? If you're the son of God, turn that bread into stones and eat. Man hadn't eaten in 40 days. He had to be hungry. And he's saying, go ahead and turn that into some bread. No, because it is written. Every single time he came back and said, it is written. Armor of God. Which piece is, is our offensive weaponry? The sword. Sword of the Spirit, which is what? Word of God. If we never use this, we can't expect anything to change in our life. But we have to get to the point where we believe it. We confess with our mouth, believe in our heart. That's when things start to happen. And God's really big on this whole living by faith thing. Romans 1.17 says, For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Galatians 3.11, he says, Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God. 
because the righteous will live by faith. Hebrews 10.38, and this is one that really got my attention. But my righteous one shall live by faith, what? And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. Now, you know, sometimes God gets a little stern with us, and he has those passages where he says, I don't like this stuff. This is one right here where he says, I don't like it. When I've said one thing and you go do something else, I'm not okay with that. And, you know, sometimes he makes it specific because things that affect us in the physical, I think particularly with healing, can be difficult sometimes to walk by faith with because we feel it. You know, it's something that you, that you have. You wake up with it, you feel it, it's something that's there. And sometimes I think God differentiates these things just so we get the, the clear picture. Jeremiah 17, 14 says, Heal me, Lord, and I will be healed. Save me and I will be saved, for you are the one I praise. Now, I really, that passage, God really spoke that one and jumped that one out at me because with our salvation, we don't often doubt that. If someone says, when were you saved? You can usually talk about the date, the time, the church, the meeting, the song they played, who you told first. There's all these things that go with it that you can, you can tie to your salvation experience. And you can have a rough day. You can have a bad day. You could be dragging. You could be just upset, mean, kicking the cat kind of a day. Don't do that, by the way. And someone would say, are you still saved? And you're not going to sit there and say, oh, gee, I don't know if I'm saved or not. I'm really not acting all that great, right? You're not going to doubt it. You're going to say, yes, I'm still saved. I've repented. God has given me grace. I'm forgiven. I'm picking myself back up, and I'm going to keep going in my walk with God. There's no doubt. But if you ask somebody about healing or prosperity or anything else that manifests in the natural, it almost sounds like that when we talk about it, we're waiting for it to happen before we say, yep, that's the situation now. And it's easy to do that. Uh, my wife actually corrected me on one this morning driving over. I said something, and she said, actually, no, it, it's, it's like this. Remember, it's just something we prayed about. I'm like, oh, yeah. Sometimes it's something that pops out. You don't even think about it. But if someone says, you know, you're not feeling good or something, you've been to the doctor maybe, and they say, how are things going? Well, and you start detailing, here's all the problem. Or you look at your bank book and, and you've been praying for a need to be met. And, and you see this a lot in churches when they have like campaigns going to raise money for something or whatever. And, and they say, well, how are you? And well, we're still short about, you know, $6,000. Has God met your need or has he not? Faith, substance of things, what? Hoped for. Evidence of things not seen. So a lot of times what we do is we say we're having faith, but the way we react, the words that come out of our mouth that come from our heart are hope. Because hope is always future tense, right? The return of Christ we have is what the Bible says is the blessed hope. We know it's going to happen. We don't know when. We know it's going to be sometime in the future. It could be two seconds from now. It could be 2,000 years from now. But we know it's going to happen. That's confidence in something future tense that has not yet occurred. That's hope. But we're never going to tell somebody that says, are you saved? Yeah, I'm going to be saved one of these days. When I get it right, when I start living right, I start working, then I'll be saved. No. The minute you confessed and believed you were saved, regardless of how you feel, regardless of what circumstances are going on around you, regardless of anything in this world, you were saved at that moment. There's no differentiation between that and a walk of faith. Just like our salvation takes time to manifest fully, we have to develop in that fruit of the Spirit. It may be the same thing with prosperity or healing or anything else that God says in here. We may have to grow in that. We may have to walk in that. But what comes out of our heart is what we really believe. 
And if what's coming out of our heart is always future tense, that's hope. If it's not at all, then we need to really pray. But we have to get in there and say, do I really believe what this says? Do I really believe God is going to meet this need and take care of it? Do I believe it's done? Because when Jesus on the cross, when he died and he said, it is finished, he wasn't just referring to his sacrifice on the cross. He was talking about everything. It is finished at that moment. That's when it's done. That's when our salvation took place. That's when it all got paid for. You know, I don't like bullies. And I like thieves even less. And the devil's both. And as long as you don't know what's in your contract, if you don't know what rights you have to stand on, he'll steal you blind. And it says he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He'll do it any way he can. He'll do it through lack. He'll do it through despair. He'll do it through disease. He'll do it through wars. There is a number of ways that he likes to attack us. But you know what? Look in the Bible what God says about all those things. A thousand will fall at my side. Ten thousand in my right hand won't come near me. That's God's word. I have to choose to believe that, even on days when I don't feel like it, even when it's hard. And it's the same choice we all have as believers. Do we really believe it? Now, the second thing we have to look at is, let's say we started believing it, and I'll try to wrap up with this kind of quick. Maybe. <laughs> Won't be too much longer. We may be saying we have, we're having faith in this area, but there's one other thing we have to stop and look at. Now, in Joshua chapter 7, I'm not going to take time to go into all of it, but you remember the story. This is the one talking about where God told the children of Israel to go out and do something, and attack this camp and do all these things, and it didn't work. And they got defeated, and they came back, and they said, what just happened? You told us to go do this. It didn't work. And God said there was sin in the camp. Now, sin and mountain moving are not synonymous. You cannot have both. So one thing we have to look and say to ourselves, is there sin in our camp, within our heart? Because God can't bless in the midst of sin. Now, he says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to what? Forgive us. Cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But I guess it, it really have to ask ourselves, how close are we looking? Because we may say, well, I don't do the big ones. I don't kill people. I don't commit adultery. I don't gossip. I don't, you know, talk bad about people. But you remember I told you that God was really serious about this living by faith thing and walking by faith. Look at what this says in Romans 14, 23. I taught this to a youth group probably 20 plus years ago now. And the light bulbs that went off over their heads was just amazing. Now, this is the passage where God's talking about food. But it says, whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith. But look at what it says. It says, and everything that does not come from faith is what? Is sin. So on those days when we feel like we're struggling, when we're not really sure if we believe, if we're not really sure, if we're, if we're not really saying the things that line up with God's word... This is not a, a, I'm beating you over the head like you're all sinners. That's not the whole point. But it's so that we look at ourselves and say, wow, you know, maybe I hadn't realized that that wasn't faith, and maybe I do need to change that. Because if God says this, and I'm not really walking according to this, but I know his word says this, I might need to draw a little closer and try and start working on changing some things in here and ask God how to do it. Because again, God's not out to get you. The idea is not to you know, beat you over the head or make you feel terrible, you're this awful person. The idea is to lift you up and help you walk and grow to be the person God wants you to be. But when we don't have faith in God's Word, when we read it and say, well, that's nice, but you know, the doctor said this. Or, well, that's nice, but you know, my bank book says this. Or, well, I just don't feel like that today. I'm not really sure that's right. 
It's okay to question if you don't understand. As long as it's, God, help me to understand. Because at the end of the day, we ultimately need to line up with God's Word more than anything else. Because that's what's going to make the change. That's what's going to make us be a mountain mover in our life. It's when we line up with God, because then we can do it. What? God, through God, all things are possible, right? Through Christ, He's going to do it. And we find out we've messed up. 1 John 1, 9, He gives us that assurance. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just. He forgives us, purifies us from all unrighteousness. And thank goodness that's without end. His mercy knows no end. If it did, I would have been gone a long time ago. <laughs> but he's merciful. He's patient with us. He wants us to grow. You know, the other thing, and I will close with this, and I'll try to be kind of quick. The other thing is when we come to God and we ask him for something, do we come like, you remember Oliver, the, the Dickens movie, Oliver, like from, I think it was in the 80s, where he comes up with his hat in his hand and he says, please, sir, can I have some more? You know, it's this very pitiful, this little, you know. Or do we come to God like that, or do we come boldly before the throne of grace and say, God, according to your word, this is what you said, this is your promise, this is what I'm expecting, because here's where it says it in your word. Do we come with that kind of boldness and that kind of confidence? Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 13. I'm just going to basically tell you the story real quick. I'm not going to read it all. But this is the story about the guy who goes in the middle of the night to his friend's house, and he's banging on the door, asking for bread because, hey, I've had company come. Now, let's picture this for a minute. It's late at night, after midnight, right? Guy's in bed. His neighbor comes up. He's pounding on the door. And he's beating on it. And he said, hey, wake up. Wake up. And the guy finally wakes up, and he says, what? Dude, I'm in here in bed. Everyone's asleep. What do you want? I just had somebody show up at my house. He needs some food, and I don't have any. Give me some bread. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm going to be sitting there telling that guy to go down the road. It's the middle of the night. What are you doing waking me up? But what happens? It says the guy got what he came and asked for. Why? Because of his importunity is the word they use in the King James. Now, there's a great word for you. How many of you used that word in the last week? Show of hands. Importunity, anybody? No, me neither. It means boldness. It means you came in bold as brass and said, I'm expecting this. I'm asking for it. Why? Because you're my friend and I know you're going to give it to me. There was no doubt in this guy's mind. It didn't matter that it was two in the morning. He woke his whole household up. He says, I've got a need. I know you can supply it. I'm here to get it. And you know what? He got it. He did. We have to remember that, yes, we are dust. Yes, we were sinners, saved by the grace of God. And yes, there was no reason God should have chosen any of us. You know, we are sheep. We've got all these things against us, and yet God chose us. But when He did, what does He say that we are? The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus Himself, in revealing His plan and stuff, remember He said, I don't call you servants anymore. We sing that song, I'm a friend of God. Well, you're more than that. You're a joint heir with Christ Jesus. You are a child of the Most High God. How many of you are going to go up, let's say when you were a little kid, was going to walk up to your earthly dad and say, gee, dad, if, it, if it's okay, I'd like just this little, can I please have... I mean, my kids don't do that. They come in, hey, dad, I need this. Can I have this? You know, okay. And if it's something good for them, yeah, I'll let them have it. If it's not, I explain why not. 
There's no hesitance, no fear when they come to me. They know they can come to me. They know they can talk to me. They know if they need something, they can ask me. I'm not going to turn them away. I'm not going to, you know, smite them or whatever. I mean, I'm there for them. I'm their dad. You know, God is our dad. He cared enough to send the very best. He sent his only son to die for us. There should never be any doubt or any question in any of our minds about the level of commitment that God has to taking care of us. If there was, that should do it right there. <laughs> they sent Jesus to die for us because he loves us that much. And if we need something, it is okay to go to him and ask. But in order to ask, you've got to ask in faith. The only way you're going to get faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? By the Word of God. I cannot stress to you enough the time that you spend in this is directly proportional to the amount of mountains that will be moved in your life. Remember, God told you to speak to the mountain. Doesn't mean He's not going to help you out. Doesn't mean He's not going to get you over it. He will. He's there to help us. He's there to guide us. But if you want that mountain moved, you've got to start doing some talking. I have to start doing some talking. And we've got to do it the way Jesus did. We've got to speak the Word. We've got to speak it in faith. Let's pray. Father God, thank You so much, Lord, for Your Word. Thank You that You are still in the mountain-moving business, God, and that You've empowered us to be your children, to help do your work, God. Lord, I thank you that for spiritual battles we fight, Lord, and for the physical manifestations that take place, that you are the victory that you have overcome. You have broken every chain, and we will stand firm on your word, God. Lord, I thank you so much, Father, for the word today. I thank you, God, that it is going to find good seed in our, our hearts, that it will grow. Lord, continue to reveal your will to us. Continue to reveal your word to us, Father. There is so much there, and there is so much we want to know. God, as we go forward this week, I pray that we would lean on you, that we would trust confidently in you and walk with you, Father. That we would not listen to the devil, that we would not be subject to lies, and that we would not be in bondage and in fear anymore. But that instead we would trust in you, God, that you are our supply, that you are our need meter, that you are our healer, that you are our deliverer, that you are our salvation, and that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Lord, we give this day to you and we thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.